Hey everyone, welcome to Mastermind FM. This week, we're delving into the marketing side of running your business. So if you run a small business or you're looking to try out different marketing methods, you definitely don't want to miss out on this episode. Personally, I've been dabbing in some marketing for our own WordPress plugins, and I've been drawing out some ideas over the past few years, but I'm certainly not an expert myself. So this week, I'm very excited to be joined by someone whose whole professional life is focused around marketing, product strategy, and growing your business. So David Kelly is the general manager of King Sumo, which is a SaaS product that helps businesses gain more customers. And he's worked for Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich, as well as Sticker Mule, among other companies. David, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I really appreciate being here and I can't wait to dive into some marketing stuff. Hopefully we'll teach everyone a little bit. Likewise, hopefully I learn a few things myself. <laughs> That's right. So David, you shot me a few weeks ago through a SpeakPipe message on our website, and to be honest, it could have come at a better time for us. Our own team is currently about to launch a new product called EDD Bookings, and we're looking into ways to improve our existing product, WPR RSS Aggregator, and some of the marketing efforts for that. So the moment I heard your message, I knew I couldn't miss out on the opportunity, and uh, I'm glad I actually got to do this. Nice. Well, now I feel pressure. I guess I have to give you really good answers and not mess <laughs> up. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see what comes out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no guarantees. We'll see. <laughs> so I did a bit of research into uh, what you do and the companies you worked for. From what I found, it states that over 40 million people have been in contact with the products and ideas you developed over the years. But for those of you who may still not know who you are or what King Sumo specifically is, can you give us a brief introduction into your history and the product's history? So King Sumo is an interesting division of Sumo Group, and a lot of people might be familiar with Noah Kagan and Sumo.com and AppSumo. And Sumo is this just like overarching brand which helps small businesses grow. That's really our mission statement. And King Sumo came from our own need. So what happened was when we were growing AppSumo about seven years ago, we realized that as a bootstrap company, we wanted a way to grow quickly without spending much money. So what we ended up doing was building this viral giveaways plugin just internally launching all these giveaways to try to grow AppSumo. So giving away things like Dropbox for life or different coupon codes to different technical products. And it accounted for about 30% of AppSumo's growth and the customer revenue generated. So then we decided to launch this project more publicly and it became what King Sumo is known today. So the high level, what King Sumo helps people do is it's very cheap but effective marketing tools to grow a business, especially if it's a small bootstrapped company that doesn't necessarily have money to spend on SEO or blog posting or Facebook ads. All right, very good. How about your personal history? So I know you're working for King Sumo now. How long have you been with them? So I've been working with them for about a year now. And it, we were, it's funny because we were talking about this before the call started, but mm -hmm. my career path is really odd and different. <laughs> so I started in college wanting to be a technical person. I wanted to be a coder. Then I realized very early on and I was, as I was trying to learn Visual Basic and JavaScript, it just wasn't for me. So I started doing product strategy. I went down the path of just helping with some marketing ideas, helping launch different products. And really, most of my education in marketing came from on-the-job experience. It came from trying things, launching things, failing a ton, and eventually figuring out a few things that work here and there, and then launching those ideas. <laughs> I love to hear stories like that. Did you learn completely through trial and error, or were you actually going through online tutorials or other resources? 
Most of it was just through on-the-job training, and there was definitely a lot of trial and error. And I think what's interesting is most people assume once someone becomes like a founder or a general manager, quote-unquote, more successful, the failure stops and the learning stops. And the truth is we fail all the time, even still. So we launch things that just don't work out as well as we hope they work out. We launch ideas that just kind of bomb, and then we have to reiterate and change and shift so most of what I've learned through that has come from just trying things while I was getting paid, <laughs> uh, like a salary at a job and seeing what happens. And a lot of times it eventually works out if we keep testing and iterating. Yeah, I like that. I think when you're more of an employee, you're making mistakes based on what others told you, right? whereas you're in a higher role, you're making mistakes based on your own intuition or ideas. Yeah, it's very humbling. A bit more pressure. For sure. Starting a business, I have so much credit to give both you because I know you've been there and also the listeners who've started businesses. I don't think people realize until they start a business or until they get in on the ground floor of a growing new business, how difficult it is to run a successful business. So just major props to everyone listening, major props to you, Mark, for just taking the plunge. No matter how small the business is, no matter how much you fail, it's impressive. To be fair, I didn't start the business myself. So it was Jean Galea who started the, the company. Yeah, I joined him a couple of years in, I think three years in. And then that's where I grew basically through the ranks. Nice. Be where I'm leading projects right now. Right, which is still a lot of pressure and you get to see the inside of it. And I think that's a really good lesson for also listeners too. And that's kind of what I did with King Sumo, where I was one of the very early employees and I worked my way up to general manager. And if you don't want to start a company, getting in on the early ground floor and just working your way up to managing, to general managing, to directing, to being a vice president is very valuable to give you that skill set to eventually start something. Yeah, it's a great way to learn, even without investing your own money. So exactly, what the <laughs> that's right, on someone else's dime. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's dive into marketing and the tactics that we can use in marketing. So how would you describe your personal approach to marketing nowadays? My personal approach to marketing is very simple. I just don't like spending money. <laughs> That's like, I guess, a core belief I have in life. Very frugal. Grew up in a middle-class family in New Hampshire. So I think that really much, very much shaped me. So when I think of marketing, my question is, how can we validate ideas? How can we test ideas as cheaply, inexpensively, and quickly as possible? And then expand on them as, as quickly as we can when we see success. So... What we ended up doing with King Sumo when we were launching our giveaways tool, and we're actually launching a new referral program tool right now, which is very similar to what people have seen for Dropbox and Uber and all these companies that give you rewards for referring a new customer. What we ended up doing is launching a new product, either the giveaway tool or the referral tool, testing it out with just a small group of people, doing like bare minimum cost, bare minimum payments. And then if we see success, if we see people enjoying it, we expand based on that. So a great example is this new referral tool we're working on for King Sumo. We launched on our sister company, appsumo.com. We built it for them specifically. We've had it up for about eight weeks on their site. The past four weeks, we've generated about $63,000 in new revenue via this referral. So we see that and we're like, oh my God, this is working really well. So now we know based on this core principle we have that we can push this out to more people. And when we launched this on AppSumo, I think it's important to note that we did a lot of custom development. We did a lot of basic stuff. So now the question becomes like, how do we expand it to more people? And the truth is that that's a great problem to have, right? Like it's a great problem when you have a successful idea or project. And I encourage everyone who listens when they have a successful idea and project, 
worry about it when that happens. So we didn't worry about growing it until after we noticed it was working for AppSumo. And now we're thinking about growing it. Very interesting. How about the effort into actually developing the product? Like, do you go all out or do you say, let's start with something small, not the optimal solution, and that will improve later? Yeah, we do this thing we call the ghetto basic solution for things, <laughs> which is how simple can we make the product that it's still effective? So when we launched our referral tool, when we launched our giveaway tool, we said, okay, we have this core concept in mind that we want to help small businesses grow more cheaply and inexpensively than other marketing strategies out there. So we have that core belief. What are our options? We noticed referrals and giveaways were both effective from what we've seen and read and experimented with internally. And then we said, okay, to launch this publicly or to launch this for our first beta customer, what do we need to do to make it happen? And what do we need to do to make it worthwhile and special and different? And then we did that. And we just did like the bare necessity to do that. And it wasn't pretty, like the back end probably isn't the best. The front end probably isn't the best it could be. I think they're in good shape, but they're not the best it could be. And now as time goes on, we'll kind of iterate and just adjust as we need to. Very good, all right. I'm glad to see the new tool doing well. I'm, I'm curious to try it out. Yeah, I'm curious too. It's really interesting. And our problems definitely don't stop there. Every kind of level and every hill we climb, there are more problems to solve, but we're excited about what it, it'll hold. Do you guys develop products based on your own needs or? A hundred percent, yeah. And I think everyone does it differently. Like there's no right or wrong path, which I think is fascinating, specifically to our founder, Noah Kagan. I think he has really good intuition about what works well and what won't work well. So a lot of the ideas are kind of hatched from his own brain and the 10,000 foot view he has of running all three companies, seeing Mint grow, being an early employee at Facebook. He's seen a lot and knows a lot. But where our ideas often come from is we'll say, hey, we're trying to grow one of our sister brands, or we see an issue with one of our sister brands, or we see an issue with our friends' companies. What can we do to solve that? So we never really come up with an idea that's just like a random idea that we haven't seen a need for. We always start with that question of what can we solve for our own company or what can we solve for our friends' companies that people just beg us about or complain about or ask us about. That's good to hear. I recently started listening to some podcasts of uh, Jason Fried of Basecamp. Yeah, super smart guy, right? Very, and has a very similar approach to that. So they, they think about how they're going to use Basecamp and then they make changes and iterations based on that. I love that. And what I really like about Jason and I'm really inspired by people like him are they do things really with like a strong moral compass and they do things that really help make the world a better place. So like all the 37 signal stuff, all like the working remotely stuff, I think that's really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I really am inspired by where people just have a purpose and a mission and they're very clear on that and it's to help better the world. And that's what we ultimately try to do too. Absolutely. I'll put links in the show notes as well so everyone can follow what we're talking about as well. Because it's, it's interesting to read through what they've done, what you've done. Yeah. Even the 37 Signals website, even that's interesting just to look at what they did with that. Oh, totally. And we can put my email address in the show notes too so people can send me death threats or compliments or whatever they choose. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out what it is. Hopefully, hopefully it's just compliments. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> All right. What led you to actually developing this approach to marketing of focusing on saving money? Was it just because you didn't want to spend money or was it working with companies with limited budgets, for example? I think it was a mix of both. So working with companies with limited budgets has been something I really enjoy. 
And to me, the, the reason why I enjoyed that is there are a lot of people with really fascinating products out there and very fascinating ideas, but they just don't know how to grow them. And there is kind of this inflection point where a company eventually takes off and then they have the budget to do Facebook ads and things become a lot more structured. And it's like stopping a snowball rolling down a hill at that point. But where I like to specialize is like those companies that are really neat and really fascinating. How do we give them a jump start to get to the level that they're the ones with the boulder or the snowball being pushed down the hill? And that's ultimately what we're trying to do with King Sumo and ultimately what I've tried to do in my career. And we can even talk about some other marketing strategies I've tried that have worked pretty well outside of King Sumo. But my focus has always primarily been there. Yeah, definitely. I think it's more satisfying as well when you actually when you're helping out a small business rather than massive companies. Seeing something grow from 10k to 100k is much more satisfying than seeing millions grow. I think. Oh yeah, like I had this is really like a great example of this. So I had my first job was working for News Corp which I'm glad I got out when I did. It looks like they're kind of imploding. And this was years ago. And <laughs> I remember just like a company that big, like really what I did didn't ultimately matter all that much. And I remember my last few weeks working at that company, like I would just take off half the day, like wander around to say hi to people, eat like a really long lunch at Chipotle. I'd read a book like in the back area. <laughs> and I think now working for smaller companies, I see the effect much more. And I think it's much more inspiring and much more aligned with what I want to do. Yeah. I'd say from my own experience, I've worked in real estate, for example, for, for a few months. Nice. So there's the satisfaction of actually helping people find the property, for example, that's one thing in rentals. But at the same time, you're working for a massive company and there's no real area for growth or anything like that. You're not seeing something grow. You're just helping people out. Yeah, so true. Compared that to where I am today, it's different where we're trying to grow a small company, trying to help the employees, the actual employees, trying to grow their skill set, trying to grow the company so they can get paid better and they can enjoy their life more. Exactly. It's, it's a completely different approach to how to live. I love that. And it sounds like you're really aligned with that too, which sounds pretty inspiring and like you enjoy it most importantly. Yeah, definitely. In the past few years, mostly in the last year and a half or so, I've been more, I've looking more into podcasts and reading about this kind of stuff. Nice. And stories about King Sumo, about Jason Freedom Basecamp, those kinds of things definitely inspire me. I love that. And the same with, with Jean Gallia, who's our, our founder. He has a very similar approach as well. So that's definitely helped me out. Work with them. That's awesome. All right. So you mentioned the marketing methods. Let's move on to those and get into each one of those. So what are your most recommended marketing methods for small companies? This is a fun one. And I feel like this is probably what people are waiting for. The other stuff people are like, oh, I don't care about his experience, yep. whatever. Just give me, give me those marketing <laughs> methods. <laughs> right. Hopefully they fast forwarded to this part. So a few things I want to point out, I think are really fascinating. So one is LinkedIn is one of the marketing methods we're testing that's actually working really well. And what I mean by LinkedIn is a lot of people now, when they go on LinkedIn, they log on, they see status updates from people. And there are these things like, I used to be broke and now I do X, Y, Z. And that's like kind of the concept I'm talking about. I think those are a little cheesy, but the core concept is for our experiments, we have under Noah's account, 60,000 followers on Twitter. We have 30,000 followers on his LinkedIn account. So both connections and people that just follow his account. And despite having half the amount of followers on LinkedIn, as we do on Twitter, we see anywhere from five to 10 times the number of clicks on posts that we write. So what that tells us is that LinkedIn's algorithm seems more accepting and open, and it seems to show to more of the followers. And we'll often write posts saying like, hey, here's like this thing we're doing, and we'll write it 
usually in like a story format. We'll keep it to, let's say like 800-ish characters at most. And at the very bottom of our status update, we'll just have a link to read more. So we do this sometimes for YouTube videos. We do this sometimes when we promote King Sumo. We do this when we promote blog posts, et cetera, et cetera. And it works very, very well posting those status updates on LinkedIn. All right. So it's, you post sort of brief excerpts of what the content in your website or the video actually is. Exactly. So here's a really good example of one that we actually did about a year ago. And I'm sure everyone is familiar with like cryptocurrency and just like the whole bubble around that. So about a year ago, we recorded a YouTube video about cryptocurrency. And the concept of the video was Noah was the world's worst investor with basically anything. Anytime he invests, like the stock goes down and just like things start crashing. <laughs> and we made a joke of that. And this video was like, hey, like, what should I take away from this Bitcoin bubble? And what should I take away from Bitcoin investing? And Noah shared his story of it. So we went on LinkedIn, we wrote a post and we said, the Bitcoin market is like exploding, but like, are you sure that you want to invest in it? And we wrote like this, like very short post where each line was a very short paragraph. So we made it very easy to digest. And timing wise, it worked out that the Bitcoin market just like plummeted within the next few weeks. So it was hitting it at the right time, right? That was part of it. But what I also think is really interesting is like we hit it at the right time because we do two to three posts a week. So we've also had a lot of posts do poorly, but because we do so many, we eventually hit on the things that are valuable. And this video ended up getting about, I think, 2,000 clicks from LinkedIn, which is just like exponentially higher than we would ever see from Twitter. So when you, when you said you're marketing through LinkedIn, mm-hmm. The excerpt or whatever you do, the updates, the status update would be on LinkedIn, it would link to your article or to your video. Is then that where you sort of sell your products through the article, through the video, or through the other content? Totally. Yeah, totally. So when we launched the new version of King Sumo, for example, we did a post on LinkedIn and the copy went something like, hey, like, we know how hard it is to grow a business. When we started AppSumo, we started it with $20 in our pocket. It took us six years to grow. We really realized like growing a business is so challenging. So we introduced this free tool to do XYZ. And then at the bottom of this post, we linked to the King Sumo tool. So it can be linking to maybe you want to promote a YouTube video. Maybe you want to promote a product, an online course, whatever it can be. It's telling an authentic and genuine story that's very succinct on LinkedIn, since you have more character space than you would on Twitter, and then linking to it at the bottom of the status update. And we've noticed that as one of our best marketing strategies right now. It works very, very well. So it works well with... For example, for products you work with, for case studies, for example, posting this product may help me do this and this or help this guy do this and this. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll post some links to our better performing LinkedIn posts in the show notes so people can see the actual example of what it looks like. Yeah, for sure. But it's really telling an authentic story, trying to connect with people on LinkedIn, sharing something and then giving some type of call to action. So it's no different than people would write in like a very good email, let's say, but we would say it's probably like a little shorter and and more succinct. It's a lot of fun and it works very well. When it comes to the actual conversion, not just of the click on LinkedIn or on Twitter to your post, but the conversion to actually purchase a product or... Yes. How does that compare between LinkedIn and Twitter in this case? So here's an interesting thing we've noticed. We have noticed the results for conversions, at least from what we've seen very unofficially, have been higher. We oftentimes promote like a lot of videos that don't have a direct conversion funnel. It's more about the brand experience and growing Noah's brand as well as our brand. So it's a little tougher to say, but I will say this is tangentially related to what you're talking about. And also I think very important to note and also another marketing tip for people. 
So we recently made a change to the King Sumo funnel where someone can sign up on the homepage for free and your listeners can test this. And then in between, they're actually presented with an interstitial pop-up or an interstitial page that then presents them with a lifetime offer to the tool for X amount of money. And we've actually tripled to quadrupled our conversion rates using this interstitial page. And the page will just say, hey, you signed up. Just want to give you a heads up for $99. You get a lifetime deal to our tool. And normally as a SaaS product, we charge, let's say, $10 to $20 per month. So it's beneficial for us because we're increasing our immediate revenue. It's beneficial for the reader because they're getting an immediate deal as soon as they purchase a product. Sounds really good. Yeah. Since you're giving it away for $99 in this case, instead of $20 a month, long term, do you see an impact on revenue because of that? Or is the product so big by now that it doesn't make a difference to you? So we're testing this and I'm curious what we see. I think there is some truth to that when you do lifetime deals like this, it increases revenue, but it might lead to some lower quality customers who really take up the bandwidth. Mm -hmm. I think it's really like any membership product, right? So like you go to the gym, you sign up for a gym membership. If everyone who had a gym membership at your local gym actually went to the gym, they wouldn't be able to maintain any room. (laughs) So they assume that some like type of atrophy will happen and users will fall off. And we don't have a scientific method for how we're managing this or how we're thinking about this. But we assume very similarly that some users will become really big brand advocates, use our products a lot. It'll probably be a loss leader in some ways for the support time, development time we create for those people. And then some people will buy it and try it like two or three times and then just not use it. And it, I think it ultimately evens out over time. It balances out over time. And even though you said the brand advocate, so if you make a loss on that person, if they're actually promoting your product to their friends, their colleagues, and to other people in their, in, through their channels, at the end of the day, you're getting a sort of free marketing channel through them. Exactly. And at the end of the day, and we've been on both sides of this where it's gone well and gone poorly, really, we need a product that performs well. And there were times in the early days of King Sumo, both referrals and giveaways, and referrals is newer, so we're still experiencing some of this, where the product just hasn't been as good as it can be. So it's like if we're trying to sell a product that just isn't as effective, you're trying to like pitch something that is, is kind of like snake oil, right? So ultimately, we had to do both together. We had to test these revenue streams of lifetime offers and different revenue models, and we had to continue improving the product based on what our biggest users were requesting and based on the success of our biggest users. So you can't charge unless you're making a good yeah, product. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so what we're talking about here, Twitter and LinkedIn is basically one facet of content marketing, right? Exactly, exactly. What other types of content marketing have you gone into? For us, it's been quite an important tool. So we have WP Mayor as well. So we see how others promote their products on our blog. We see how we promote ours through articles, through blog posts, through basically even writing content on our own website, on the product website. Mm. So what other kind of content marketing ideas do you guys use? What's fascinating is like some things work well for one business and they don't work well for a different business, right? So for Sumo.com, our sister company, I helped them out as well. We noticed content does a great job of generating quality leads for Sumo.com. Recently, we tried doing blog posting for King Sumo and it just didn't do much. And I think that's a lot of reasons. One of the reasons why is like as a newer brand, we just don't have the domain authority. We're just not going to get picked up as much by other brands, we're not going to get circulated as much. So that takes time. 
But what I really take away from that is like with content marketing or really any type of marketing, it's really valuable to test, test, test and not have assumptions. So we tested outreach, direct outreach, where we tried pitching our tools to different types of people. And within that direct outreach, we tried pitching it to YouTubers. We tried pitching it to uh, authors, to bloggers. And we also tried blog posting. And both of those things did not work very well. What we did notice worked really well is just like building this product, getting a few evangelists to use it, a few of our friends to use it, and then building it in a way that they want to share it that it's good enough for them to share it. And then they become like our sales team, essentially by sharing it with their friends. And that's not to say it's perfect. I think we're still kind of figuring out what marketing methods and strategies hit for King Sumo specifically. But we know that some things that work for sumo.com just aren't working for King Sumo. So we need to go back to the drawing board and test and iterate and see. That's a perfect example of basically no business has a guaranteed marketing method. <laughs> Exactly. I wish I wish I could sit here and say, like, do this 100% and it'll work. And really, I think both LinkedIn and with content and really with any marketing strategies, I can give ideas and I can give baselines of what works for us. And the idea might work for your listeners, but in a different capacity. So they might need to adjust it or it just might not work at all. But it's worth testing and seeing what works because then it inspires other things that it might be an extension or might be even better. Yeah, as we see with ourselves as well, we had or the aggregator plugin. We had a few articles that did really well, which are basically case studies of websites that we built ourselves with our own products. Yeah. And over time, they actually did well. So people would refer to those when they come to pre-sales questions and everything like that. And for some reason, we didn't work on case studies with client websites. We just used our own. We saw they did well, and then we lost focus and we went into something else and we ignored that part of it of actually expanding on that idea. So recently, we just reached out to basically all the customers signed up for uh, email marketing. In the space of about 24 hours, there are already 30 replies of people who are willing to use their website as a case study of our product. Oh, wow. That's really good indication. And I think that's a great example because there have been products we've launched where we're like, yo, like we're going to do this thing. It's going to be awesome. Are you interested? And we've had like two people be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign that we probably shouldn't go down that path and explore that product idea. And then we've had times where we come up with an idea and people are like, absolutely, I'm interested. And sometimes those people end up not buying. So it isn't like a one-to-one -one proportion. Sometimes people just say, hey, I'll do this because I want to be nice. But I do think there is something to like what you guys did where you said, hey, like, can you do this thing? And you got a good response. Yeah. And we've actually tried this a couple of years ago, maybe. And that's what happened. We got one, two replies and we got nothing out of it. Mm. So it, yep. was a, it was a different approach to what we took now. Now it was like a simpler to the point approach. But sometimes it, it even takes time to realize it's not the idea which wasn't right, it was the approach which wasn't, which wasn't right. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes it's both. And sometimes, man, I'll tell you, like, the world is just weird. Like some things are just truly unexplainable with marketing where it's like we come up with this idea and we're like, man, this is going to crush it. People are interested. Like, it looks like it's going to be a great revenue model. It's like everything looks good and then it just bombs. Yeah. And in those situations, it's just like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. So just keep forging ahead, I guess, is a lesson there. Yeah. And that's why starting small makes more sense. Exactly. Don't go all in on one thing. Exactly. All right. So apart from uh, content marketing, we've used email marketing as well in the past. I know you mentioned email before. Mm -hmm. Have you tried any specific 
uh, approaches to email marketing? Yeah, my marketing experience in a lot of ways is email marketing like focused. And email marketing, from what I've noticed, is just one of the most effective marketing channels out there. It has become slightly less effective, and this is something people don't talk about, I don't think, uh, because Gmail is doing a lot of engagement tracking with their inbox systems, so both G Suite emails, so anyone who uses Google at work, or their free Gmail addresses, which is like feels like 85% of the world, uh, at least as far as we send. So it's become a little less effective, but what I've noticed is email still drives more results on average than any other marketing channel of a similar size. And email strategies, I think that work really well, are people build up these like really advanced segmentation strategies. They do a lot of these crazy things. And I think people overcomplicate email marketing. Really effective email marketing to me starts with, and this sounds so basic, but it's crazy how forgotten this is, is I'm going to send an email regularly. So as part of Gmail's engagement tracking, they do look at the types of sends you're sending, when you're sending it, and also your subscribers get used to certain days. So oftentimes they're more used to opening, at least from what we've seen data-wise. So sending it regularly and also sending stories that are really, I think, like interesting and different. So we will send short emails, for example, with like bite-sized action tips. And a lot of people out there will send like these very cookie cutter phrasing and sentences and paragraphs that sound like they're writing a sixth grade research paper with like big words and other things that just don't like make sense as far as how people normally talk to each other. And we've noticed just keeping it really simple using authentic language and regularly sending emails is about 70 to 80% of the work. And then once those things are accomplished, you can start getting into drips and segmentation and how to do those. But I think nailing the foundation is important first. I've seen this myself when I sign up to whatever website it is. If I receive an email and it's like a structured marketing idea, marketing template to it, you put off. You don't really want to read it. You just probably delete and unsubscribe after a while. When it's yeah, when it's a very basic email, just content, story, as you said, and just that, you have a tendency to want to read it. Even the tagline is not like a marketing push. It's a, hey, let me tell you about this. Like, are you interested in the story? Oh, totally. Storytelling comes into play. I've seen it even with ourselves. When, when we tried to use um, for the RSS plugin, we tried email marketing in the past. We tried it sending I think, monthly emails. It was ideas of how you can use the product and stuff like that and feature set and this and that. Yeah. The unsubscribe rate on that was much higher compared to when we send a very simple email like we did now for the case studies. Yeah, interesting. Because it, it before it was pushing the product, whereas now it's, hey, we want to push your website. We want to focus, focus on you, for example, more than focusing on your own personal product. I agree. I agree. And also what's interesting about email as well is like the way I talk just to someone like you, Mark, where I'm like, hey, man, like what's going on? Like how you doing, et cetera, et cetera. I think is also valuable to talk in some of those languages in your emails. And it sounds like that's what you guys are doing very similarly. And we also do that with our drip series too. So one thing I think is really interesting that we've tried is using videos in emails. And I've used this a lot, just like in my personal strategy, where when I'm doing outreach for Kingsumo, let's say, I'll use a tool like Loom or QuickTime or whatever it is, record a very short, like 30 second video. That's a welcome email, right? And it's like, hey, like, Welcome to the product. I just want to put a face behind a name. This is who I am. Heads up. If you ever need anything, let me know. So it doesn't need to be crazy. It doesn't need to be complicated. 
I think we live in a world now where it seems to be authentic to be perfect, which is like not real authenticity. And people talk about authenticity, but then they edit their videos to like the nth degree. They do things to the nth degree. And there's something kind of humbling and relaxing and like very connective about just being like, yo, here I'm in front of a camera. I just want to record this quick video. Here you go. So I would encourage your listeners or really anyone when they're writing emails to think about how within their brand, they could be more authentic and honest. Do, do you embed the video within the actual email? So sometimes I'll put like a screenshot of the video so they can see like my face and like what it looks like. And it isn't like a professional thumbnail at any means. It's just like recorded. And then I screenshot one part of the, the video. So I'll do that. And then we'll often just like include that into like a welcome thing. Or we even have this welcome thing where I send this manually for anyone who signs up right now for KingSumo Pro. So our paid level of KingSumo, the $99 lifetime deal. I send them an email and I'm like, hey, you're awesome. That's the first sentence. And then I'm like, uh, appreciate you signing up for KingSumo Pro. What's your first giveaway or referral program you're gonna run? We'll help promote it. And it's like done. It's like so easy compared to some other welcome messages where people are like, Hey, welcome to my product. Like here are 17 FAQ guides and welcome guides and watch this video. And then they send you another email six hours after that. And it's like, dude, like I have a life. I have other emails. I don't want to read that stuff. So we try to keep it simple and we've seen success. We use that method of sending those emails six hours after. It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're going to ignore it. They're going to unsubscribe or they're going to message support saying, stop sending me this stuff. So true. Most of the time, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's overwhelming. And I think your point too of, of like most of the time, it doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah, I like I don't want to say it doesn't work 100% because some listener will be like, yo, I do this in my business and I make $10 million a year and they'll make me feel bad. So there are cases where it works. And then again, it goes back to testing. I think just an interesting idea is like, how can one test being more authentic, being more simple, being more vulnerable, connecting more with customers and users? Yeah, just to be clear, we're talking about our own products here, not necessarily anything, anything out there. Yeah, exactly. And your approach was like a basic intro video. I've seen that recently on a lot of the like the top services, the top products, top plugins. Like the big guys are actually doing this simple thing, whereas the newer, smaller companies, the smaller products are trying the all-out edited video with graphics and this intro and that intro. Mm. I've been more attracted towards that idea of the basic video where it just like you said, there's a face behind the product. There's a basic intro. At least if you contact support, you have an idea of who you're contacting. Totally. And the same thing in support. We've seen this in support. Like our welcome emails aren't optimized in this way yet. But when it comes to support, we were using more of a like a human approach to it. Whereas before, it was more of a professional high and keeping it professional. Now it's more of a friendly approach to answering tickets. And we've seen it, it helps. I mean, every now and again, you get someone who works with I won't mention companies, but they work with top companies, top brands, and they email you expecting <laughs> you to reply with a dear sir and all this. Right. But that's that, that's once in a while. And most people are small businesses, small companies, individuals. So they prefer the human A approach. Totally. And I think the right place, right time is an important distinction because we actually tried doing more authentic, like vulnerable, less edited videos on Noah's YouTube channel. So on our OK Dork YouTube channel. And you can actually see them if you just go to youtube.com slash okdork. We thought, hey, let's try the same philosophy on like these videos. And when we did less edited, more authentic, more vulnerable videos on YouTube, it didn't do nearly as well as our more heavily edited videos did. So I think the concept is like, what is the context of what we're trying to do? So 
an authentic, like vulnerable, like 30 second video of me being like, Hey, welcome to King Sumo. Just want to welcome you, say my name, let you know that you can literally reply to this address and I'll answer you. Works really well for a welcome video that I'm sending to a person personally via email, but that type of video might not work well for YouTube. So different mediums have different approaches and contexts behind them. And it's worth testing what those are. Yeah, that's worth saying what the what the bigger products, bigger services are doing as well. Because most likely, if it's working for them, it's going to work for you. Exactly. 100% agree. So we spoke about con- different types of content marketing, email marketing. I want to mention something which is, is related to both, which is copywriting. Yes. So first of all, when you say copywriting, what, what does it mean to you? So I've done a lot of copywriting and I did copywriting for Ramit Sethi as well as I will teach you to be rich and sticker mule and those guys. Copywriting to me is like a really fancy way of saying, I'm just going to write words that are compelling in that cell. <laughs> it's like the simplest way I think about it. So we would often write for Ramit, like funnels and different types of things to try to get people to buy, but more actively try to get people to see from our viewpoint and try to relate to people about where they are in, in their journey and find the middle ground for the product we're trying to sell so that they see the value in buying that product. All right. you have any good examples of maybe even King Sumo website we can link to or something that's your, your work? Yeah. So we can do a couple of things. One is we'll link the King Sumo website because I think this will be actually interesting to see. So the drip series we wrote for King Sumo, I would say is copywriting because ultimately we're trying to sell things, but it's very simple copywriting. So when people hear Ramit Sethi or when they hear these other companies, they see the long, like expansive, very flowy, flowery phrasing and wording that takes a long time to write. And that can be effective. What can also be effective is keeping it very simple. So for example, when I write emails, when I do copywriting, I think, where is the user in this journey that I'm talking to them? Where's the destination that I would like them to go? So maybe it's buying the product. And what do I need to do to get them there? And sometimes it's like, okay, I need five emails. Sometimes it's like, okay, I need three emails. Sometimes it's like, hey, I could even do this in one email. So if I just hold the intention and the thought, hey, like they're here and where is here, I'm trying to get them to there. What is all the middle ground in between that I need to bridge? And what does that look like to try to bridge that? And do you use the same language throughout? Let's say it's a true email drip. Do you use the same language throughout? Yeah, sometimes I do. And it depends what the language is. So King Sumo is like a lot more fun. Like we're more laid back and fun and relaxed with our language. I would say the language principle kind of stays the same, but the concept of how we talk is different. So like, let's say I was talking to you, Mark, and I was like, yo, man, like trying to understand where you are in your business. And I understand you're at XYZ point and my job is to get you further along. So it might be easy enough for me to convert you in the first email by just saying, hey, like you have this problem with your business. Here's what our solution is. Or potentially something that you guys are experiencing is not that much of a pressing need. So then I have to play on more of the emotional card, right? So very similarly, like let's say you were a friend and I was trying to explain stuff to you and you're just like, yeah, you know, like it's just not right for me or whatever. And then I was like, no, dude, like you should really do this. And here's why you should do this. I think that's true of emails too. So some of the emails we write, let's say like on the third or fourth email, we'll approach from the angle of like, okay, let's imagine ourselves as this user. They've seen the two other emails. They're not convinced to buy. What's going to get them to buy? And oftentimes what gets people to buy is there's a lot out there about scarcity mentality. So it's like, imagine tomorrow you wake up and your life is in shambles, like because you decided not to make this decision. And that can work. But I also like to think more from the abundance mindset. Like imagine you wake up and your business is better. And this is stuff I learned pretty, pretty heavily from Ramit, 
where it's like, okay, like I gave you the context over the first few emails. The third email now is me trying to hit you more emotionally and saying like, Mark, to you, imagine what would happen if you could wake up tomorrow and like your business would be two times better. Imagine if you were making revenue like while you were sleeping, while you're on the beach. And it doesn't need to sound that cheesy as I'm saying it out loud, but the core concept of, hey, like imagine just like you need a tool, which is probably why you signed up or you gave your email address that helps you get to a destination you want to. What does that look like? And if someone came to me and they were like, yo, I can help double your business overnight. Like just imagine how it feels. Here's what our tool does. I would be compelled to look into it. I like the idea of playing on the emotions. What I don't like is when uh, I've signed up for certain e- email lists and they play on the guilt side of things. Yeah. Like you're not going to have this. You're going to miss out on this. You're going to lose this. You're not going to have this. I'd rather, like you said, focus on what can you have tomorrow? What can you have in a year's time? Totally. Focus on the future. And I've done both. So like, I totally understand both sides, but like ultimately kind of where I am now, and I encourage people to think about this is like the people that do that stuff, not only do they eventually get found out and it just like eventually crashes their business or people just eventually kind of go to a different place. But it's like morally at the end of the day, what do we want to do as copywriters? What do we want to do as business owners? And I feel part of my moral obligation is like, I want this business of King Sumo to be around for a while. I, as David, want to be known as someone who's a good marketer for a while. And it's like, if I'm doing the right things, if I'm approaching it in the right way, it might take me a little longer to get to the point where I want to be versus someone who's able to just hit on those get rich quick scheme, like scarcity mentality, scare people into buying. But when we look at just businesses in general, what do we want to decide to be? And I think oftentimes it's just easier to make the right decision if we're honest with ourselves. Although it isn't always easy in the moment. Yeah, giving the human approach rather than the robotic sense of doing things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No robots. Yeah, it was always in support. So at one point when I was handling support myself, I got into like a routine of answering tickets and answering emails. Yep. And it was more of getting through the email and actually solving a problem and thinking of the person on the other end. Then when we hired someone else to join the team and I started taking over the role of like supervising them, that's when I started saying what I was doing in them. And then you start to realize what you're doing wrong. It's like these people are getting annoyed because you're taking the wrong approach. Yeah. So you're giving the wrong answer. You're just taking the wrong approach to actually giving you the answer. Yeah, man. I give you credit. I've done customer service too. Customer service is like so humbling and brutal and frustrating all at the same time. I think every business owner should like once a month or quarter or year or whatever they want it to be, just do customer service for like part of a day or just become more intertwined with what the questions are that people are asking because it just humanizes it a lot more. Like we see all this email data and like all this other stuff where just like people become numbers. And the truth is that that helps in aggregate form, but a lot of times it's, it's valuable to do the qualitative aspect. And I also think at the same time, it's important distinction because a lot of business owners say this, like, oh, listen to your customers, go help your customers. You also have a lot of crazy customers out there and tire kickers out there who probably aren't like the best people to listen to, but just understanding like kind of where people are in their journey qualitatively versus just a quantitative number side, I think makes a better business ultimately at the end of the day. Yeah. You're going to encounter horrible people along the way for sure. I mean, so now it's the, oh man, it's such a, <laughs> the internet's just like a crazy place, man. The internet brings out like the best and worst in people. Yep. More oftentimes it seems like the worst. <laughs> In the beginning, when I started off, I, I tried to take the human approach. Like I, I was going into it without knowing what handling support's like. Yeah. So I, I was thinking like I'm just helping a friend out or helping someone out. 
and the stuff I read, the reviews we got, certain certain situations, it'll be a basic, very small issue, and they'll just blow it completely out of proportion, swear words all over the place, insults to families and cultures. I don't know where it comes from, but eventually develop a thick skin towards it. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. That's impressive. I give you a lot of credit. I still take it way too personally. It's better I don't have support. <laughs> from time to time, to be honest, I do. Like recently, I had someone who insulted culture of now an old colleague of mine. And just reading that just makes no sense. Like, well, it's a problem with the product. I don't actually problem with his setup, not the product. Mm. And you're insulting someone's culture for absolutely no reason. Probably they made a mistake in, in the English of it. And... That's, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Crazy people. Like we said, the crazy people are out yep. there. Just watch out for them. <laughs> Just ignore them. <laughs> That's right. So speaking of uh, the language of the actual uh, content you're writing, do you guys focus on marketing in English or do you actually try different languages based on your traffic? So we only do English. The most we've done, and I think this is like really good for multinational companies or multi-language companies, is when we release a WordPress plugin version of Kingsumo. So we have like a web app version that people can use and embed on their site, and then a WordPress version that ties directly into WordPress if people use WordPress. We got a lot of requests for languages, and we were looking at the data, and I think it's important to understand requests because sometimes you get three or four requests and people think urgently that thing needs to happen. And when you step back and you look at the bigger business and you understand, hey, like we have a thousand customers, three of them are asking for languages, 40 of them are asking for something else, a thousand of them just don't want anything else. It helps understand where priorities go. So it got to the point where languages where we got enough requests that we made the decision to rely on our community to help us out. So we essentially enabled translation abilities into the plugin that anyone can do. So they can change around the translation and the language depending on what culture they're in. And that didn't take as much work from our side, at least translating into all these local languages. And we just gave people the option to do it on their side. Oh, so translating the actual labels and stuff within the plugin. Exactly. Translating everything within the WordPress plugin to match their language. So we, we removed ourselves from the equation and we just let them help us out build the product. Yeah, it makes sense because we tried looking for translators months back mm. based on a few requests and support but it was just a few and you put out an application for translators in return for free licenses and this and that yep and we actually got translators we got one or two for each language we wanted most of those didn't pan out because they actually just stopped replying completely yeah and then we realized like the effort to put in was apparently for those people because even with the few translations we got out there it didn't make a difference it's it's more of an enhancement than a something that's going to increase your revenue or help that many more customers. Totally agree. And that's a really important distinction that you've just brought up that I want to reemphasize where I struggle with this too, where I go to our founder, Noah, and I see these things and I'm like, yo, like we should do this, we should do that. And he's like, how does this help us get more revenue and more customers? And oftentimes when I try to look at it more objectively, I'm like, okay, this person's asking for this and they're like pretty adamant about wanting it, but we could rather spend our time on this new feature or this new idea we have that in a year's time or six months time or a month's time could bring in a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 new customers. So it's like the decisions I make, what are the ones that best impact the company? And I think it's easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees as the saying goes or whatnot. 
where like I'm making the best decision for the company, not just for like Joe Schmo who requests it, even though Joe Schmo might be like a really nice guy. And even if you just think you you randomly think it's a good idea. Yeah. I've had cases where I come across, I don't know, an article or a video of someone saying, we did this and it worked. So I'd bring it up with John, same thing. And then I came across this idea, it's really good. Yep. And he'd ask, he'd ask the questions to actually get to the bottom of it. Like, how is it going to help us? How is it going to increase revenue? How is it going to help support? And if you struggle to answer that, then you know you're not, you're not on the right track. Yeah. And here's another good tip that I want to tell your listeners, because we just had this literally happen yesterday. So we have our referral engine tool, which is somewhere between $20 a month and just like $99 lifetime fee. And we have this pretty big clothing brand that we're working with. And they came to us and they're like, hey, like we want to remove this branding. We want to change around these product features, et cetera, et cetera. And it's going to take development time. And I originally was like, yeah, let's do this. Like totally. These guys are big name. Let's just make it happen. And Noah came to me and he said, you know, like if we're doing this, we need to make sure we're getting the proper revenue for it. So he went back to the founder of this company. He's like, hey, we can do your requests if you give us development costs for what this is going to take, which was like around a thousand bucks. Or he was like, listen, you can have the branding and just pay the $20 a month. So like, if you want these requests to happen, you need to pay us more money. Or if you don't, that's totally cool, but you're going to pay us this amount of money for the branding version. So I think the lesson there is like, if you have someone requesting a lot, see if you can get them to pay more for development costs or see if you can get them to pay more for uh, like the product feature set that they're asking for. A lot of people will just go out of their way to do things for these customers that pay $10 a month. And it's like they spent $10,000 in development costs for $10 a month. It's not really worth the ROI. So if customers come to you and ask for things and it becomes a point of the ROI just not making sense, try to upsell them for the development costs or to a higher tier. And that's I think relative to what business you're in. So for us in WordPress plugins, we see customization. Some of them are brilliant ideas, mm-hmm. but it's going to be used in one use case. And it's a rare use case and maybe we'll get five customers the next year to use it, but it's, like you said, hours of development, it's a lot of cost for us. So rather than, so the different approach we take is rather than having them pay the cost to us because we're a small team, we have limited development time. We refer to people to companies like Codable and WP Riders. Yeah. And these guys handle the customizations for us. And then there's an, aff- uh, an affiliate commission based on that client we send them. So yeah, I definitely agree. Like It's not worth most of the time doing something that looks brilliant, but it's not going to help the majority of your users. Yeah, I love that. And the affiliate like partnership idea is a really interesting idea. I have a friend, he hasn't done this yet, but maybe it'll inspire some people who he's a really good marketer and he gets pitched all the time on marketing consulting opportunities. And he's just like not really interested in doing them. So he started talking to local agencies in San Diego, California, where we live. And he's like, hey, if I send you leads and you sign on to these leads, like, will you pay me money? And they said, absolutely. Like, we'll totally pay you money. So instead of wasting his time on these clients that he just feels aren't worth his time, he can instead refer them to an affiliate or partner and get a kickback from that. And I think it's a really valuable way to think about in my business, in your business, Mark, in anyone's business who's listening, mm-hmm. what are partnerships where we could do something like that, where we could get a mutually beneficial relationship, maybe even financially? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to think about other ways we can actually implement this. Yeah, it is. That even partnership. <laughs> People are going to become millionaires. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're running out of time very soon. So before we actually get to the end, are there any other marketing methods which you've tried or which you recommend? I would say giveaways. And this is kind of like a a pitch on our tool. 
uh, work really well. And the reason why I say giveaways work really well are like, listen, I can create a giveaway, give away a $300 product, share it with my existing friends or list or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. They share with their friends because the original people get more referrals or more entries or whatever it is when they share with their friends. And it really helps explode giveaways. It really helps explode list growth, right? So we've seen people get leads using this method for about five cents a lead, sometimes around three cents a lead on the upper upper solid limits. And it works so effectively. So whether your listeners use kingsumo.com, whether they run their own Instagram giveaway, whether they use one of our competitors, all good. Like totally just people should do whatever they feel comfortable with. Really, I think the key is like giveaways are a very interesting platform to explore. And to put it into context, five cents lead is very, very cheap. Yeah. Like we have done a lot of marketing strategies and we've gotten leads from Facebook ads for like a dollar per lead. And we were just like overjoyed Mm -hmm. with excitement by that. We were like, oh man, we're crushing it. We're doing great. And then we saw five cents a lead from giveaways and we're like, ah, okay, I guess we're not crushing it as much as we thought we were. (laughs) And do you think giveaways work for all types of products or services or is it a certain specific uh, types of products don't actually work? Like if it's a if it's a niche product, for example, I think it works better for physical products or like very obvious digital products that can be sold. So like here's something I don't think it worked very well for, but it could still work. But I don't think it worked as effectively. Like if I just ran a blog where my business was just like affiliate or ad based businesses, where like I'm just making money on impressions to my blog, that becomes a little weirder and that becomes a little tougher. On the other hand, like if I run a product business, for example, I help a surfboard shop in San Diego, they gave away a surfboard, right? That's a perfect fit for their audience, perfect fit for their target, their segment. And within running that giveaway, it was run over a month. They already, during the process of the giveaway, got an ROI positive campaign. So that's before the giveaway even was over. It cost them $700 for the board. They got a purchase, I think, for $800. And now in the months to come, we expect like another $2,000 to $3,000 in sales from these leads. So 700 bucks for the surfboard that they bought from their own shop. So the cost was actually probably a lot lower with like a $3,000 ROI potentially over the next two to three months. And then if we look at the lifetime value of customers a lot longer, that's a really good marketing channel to me. And that's, I think, a really exciting one for people to explore. It's interesting. You mentioned the works more for physical products. Does it make sense that if you have a digital product, you have software, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you actually have a giveaway with a physical product like, I don't know, like branded t-shirts, branded caps, branded whatever it is. Yeah. Um, giving those away and then executing the image of your product out there. And I think digital products work too, actually. So like if I give away a course, for example, we partnered with Pat Flynn recently of Smart Passive Income, and we did a giveaway for him where he gave away like all his courses. And that worked very well, exceptionally well, both for Pat and for Soundups from our side, right? And digital products like that work. I just think where it becomes more difficult is like if you run a blog where you're just not selling anything outside of impressions, and that's how you make money, then it becomes like, okay, you need to identify the product that your, your audience likes that necessarily you don't sell. But if I sell a physical product, if I sell a digital product, like a course or a plugin or WordPress product, those both work very well for giveaways because I give away a product to people. And then those people who are signing up for the giveaway are just inherently interested in what I have to pitch because I'm giving away my product and they displayed interest. So the pitching and the selling becomes a lot easier from that. 
Very interesting. We'll, we'll definitely give this a go ourselves as well. We we run giveaways similar to this on WP Mayor. Yeah. So we have basically plug-in owners, team owners, give away their product as for a blog post and it runs for a week or something like that. And they see a return on that. I don't think we've actually tried to tell with our own products, to be honest. I think it's a bit harder when it's a niche product. So taking RSS aggregator, it's... Yeah, I think so too. It's a better thing. To, it's, be, it's more worth focusing on marketing efforts on the clients you know you can convert rather than a random blog post out there. Totally. Yeah, totally. There's truth to that. Before we finish off, I want to mention social media marketing. We mentioned Twitter before. Yep. Have you seen an effective result from Twitter, Facebook, any other social media? Mostly for software products, for digital products. Not really from our side, outside of LinkedIn. Now, I think there is value to, to social media. And a lot of marketers, like it seems like people are very much like social media is awesome or social media is, is awful. Like it doesn't seem like there's a very middle ground. So I'm going to be here as middle ground. I'm going to bridge the gap right now. I'll be the middle ground person. I think from our experience, social media as a purely ROI generating activity and a return on time generating activity, it hasn't really been there for at least King Sumo from what I've seen and from my past companies from what I've seen. However, I do think there's something to be said. In some cases, it's valuable for branding, right? So there's another company I help with some consulting every once in a while. They're a fine art photography studio based in Los Angeles. And in order to get shoots, in order to do magazine shoots, newspaper shoots, whatever type of shoots they're doing of uh, the modeling they do, they need some type of social proof where like, it's important that they have a big social media following. And for them, it works pretty well. So again, I think it comes down to what works well for the business type. I would say historically for product businesses like ours, the markets just become really saturated on Twitter, not as much on LinkedIn, but on Twitter, on Facebook, to the point where like there are better marketing channels. Like for us with LinkedIn, with direct outreach to our evangelists, those tend to be a better ROI. All right. Yeah, we think we see something similar ourselves with Twitter. We haven't even tried Facebook for products, but... Yeah, Twitter is good to reach out to existing customers. I don't think it's as good to reach out to new customers. Right. Yeah, same. We noticed that too. So we just do it to kind of like build our brand. Like we very much will be on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. And Instagram and Twitter for King Suma, like brand new. So we, we have like 100, 200 followers, something like that. And our thought is like, hey, if we're spending 20 minutes a week on this, which we are, and we eventually go to the point where it's big and helpful, that's great. But if not, it's still just 20 minutes a week and it gets like a few results here and there. So it's worth doing for 20 minutes a week. So again, it's looking at the time investment and making sure that like I'm not posting on Twitter every day for two hours and studying hashtags and like hitting up all these people like that just wouldn't be worth the time. But 20 minutes a week is worth my time. Yeah, definitely. And good point to end off with actually the time you actually invest in each uh, marketing. Yeah. All right, David, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, before we finish off, where can people reach you and where can people find King Sumo and learn more about that? Sure. So two places. You can find King Sumo at kingsumo.com and you can email me directly at david at kingsumo.com. So if you have any questions about how to run a giveaway, anyone who emails me, I'll also send you a checklist for what Smart Passive Income did to run a successful giveaway. So just hit me up on email if you want that. And then you can also check out my personal blog at dmkthanks.org, where I write the occasional growth strategy and talk a little behind the scenes about what we're doing. Excellent. I'll post links to all these in the show notes as well. Cool. David, thank you very much for being with us. 
I definitely recommend for listeners to check out King Sumo, App Sumo, which we've used as well successfully in the past, and the Sumo website as well. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.